Don't clap, but my wife always claps when I blow out our candles in our house at night. Some nights I go to bed forgetting that I've left some on. I like to light candles like Dave said. Good morning. I have a little bit, a little spot of business that I have to take care of. Um, In order to get my paycheck next week, I have to do what Susan tells me. So... No, all joking aside, um, we have put a letter in the bulletin uh, for next week. You heard Dave mention it. Um, I'm I'm asking that you read that letter. Um, Our church premises are all of our responsibility. And we have a building that is over 60 years old. Many of the the buildings on on our property are over 60 years old. And as a result, uh, over time, those things break down. As I told our church several uh, weeks ago for our prayer night, the air conditioning units that were put in that have been giving us cool air uh, for the last 50 some odd years in this church, they were actually built into the church when the church was built. Can you believe that? They, they didn't have a way. Nobody thought that we might need to replace them. They just said, just put them up there and let the church in 2017 deal with it. And here we are, 2017. But we thank God for the sacrifice that the men and women who built this church and who took out second mortgages for this auditorium to be built, we thank God for their sacrifice. But we now have a responsibility I'm not going to use a trick word like opportunity. I'm going to use the real word, and that is responsibility. This is our church, and we have recently had to redo those two air conditioning units, and it was a real process. We had to knock out windows on the side of our buildings. Those windows had to be replaced with new windows, and we had to take those, had to work on specific units that would get in here. I don't know if you feel the cool air in here. feels great this morning. Yes, clap. clap now, give next week. (laughs) But we're going to have a special offering, and it is our responsibility to care for these premises, okay? And if you're not going to come in pain, and if you're not going to come and help and mow the grass, that's fine. You can always give a little bit extra for the Christmas season to help us pay for those units. All right, so please read the letter. It'll tell you everything that's gone on. Um, about that. And if you have any questions, ask Susan. She's very affable. Um, some of you are going to look up the word affable, and then a couple minutes later, I'm going to hear laughter. Um, <clears throat> I also want to explain just really quickly why we've canceled our Wednesday night, um, uh, not this week, but for the two weeks during the Christmas holiday. It's really to give everyone a reset and to give our staff a break, okay, and to give our choir a break for those two weeks. We are hoping that all of you will take that time. Uh, I think we're starting back on January 10th, so we're going to have Wednesday night fellowship this week, and then we're going to be starting back on, I believe it's January 10th, and I hope that many of you who haven't uh, come on Wednesday night will rededicate yourself to Wednesday night. Why? Because that's what we as a church do. We come on Wednesday night, we come on Sunday mornings, okay? And so I wish that you would pray Uh, very carefully over these holiday season and rededicate yourself on the 10th to our Bible study. We have a lot of fun in here. If you have your Bibles, turn in them to John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Our first sermon in our Advent series was, wait. We were speaking of those who waited for the Messiah to come and then us who are waiting for the Messiah to return. The Messiah came the first time in the manger. He came as a man. He will forever more be truly God and truly man after his incarnation some 2,000 years ago. We talked about preparing and how preparing is actually the the action of the attitude and the spirit of hoping and waiting for the Lord's return. And how preparing is real action. It is a real change and transformation of life whereby we say we really believe Christ is returning. He's coming back again. And our life demonstrates that. 
Today, I want to talk about the focus of our preparation. I don't want to leave you with the impression that Christians are to simply be busy. Though it would be a good starter for many Christians to get busy, that's going to come back to haunt me, to get busy about the Lord's work, it would be very important to do good things, but to do good things that are not the main thing would miss the point. And so this morning I want to talk about witness. A witness is someone who testifies openly about the facts concerning someone or something other than himself or herself. So I want you to keep this picture in mind that the witness is someone who is telling or is testifying about something outside of him or herself or about someone. Witness, in fact, is from the Greek word martyr or martyrios. And the only reason why I use that is because we have an English word today, and that English word is martyr. So the Greek word that we, our Bibles translate witness is actually the word that we derive our English word martyr from. And we know what the word martyr means. It carries with it a connotation of dying for one's beliefs. Dying for what one testified about. Or for what one believes and tells others. And so a martyr is also a witness. But I want us to think this morning about the activity of the witness. If you have your Bibles, look at John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This morning, we're going to be reading from John about John. So to just clarify, we are talking about John the Baptist. He is the focus of the sermon this morning. Christ is, is obviously the main focus, but the person in our narrative this morning that we're looking at is John the Baptist. He is not the author of the Gospel of John. Okay, this is John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel sometime around 90 AD. And he wrote this Gospel to magnify the person of Jesus Christ so that those who would see Christ would believe that he was God in the flesh and that by his death we all have eternal life. So throughout the sermon, I'm going to refer to the baptizer. We're going to be talking about John the baptizer and John the evangelist. The evangelist is the author. The baptizer is the subject of our sermon. Look at our verses, 1, 6 through 8. If you were reading this passage and you were just reading through, you might quickly gloss over it. Seems to be just a small aside especially after the beautiful words of the first five verses of John, some of the most famous words in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A glorious passage. And unfortunately, John the Baptist has to follow that glory of God. Look at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for men and women who bear witness about the light. The men and women who have pointed us to your word, who have pointed us to glorify your son, who have challenged us to move out from ourselves and to glorify you, to make our lives a living sacrifice for you. We thank you for those men and women, those great 
leaders of the faith who were so selfless that they gave all glory to you, Father, and that they knew that real life, eternal life, rests outside of themselves and in Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I want to break this verse down and give some application, and then I want to talk about three implications that this verse has for us. Number one, the verse begins, or our section begins, with this phrase, there was a man. There was a man. Put that up against the first verse of the first paragraph. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 6 begins with, there was a man. Think for a moment of every hero in the Bible. Noah, who saved all life by obeying God and by building a boat for over a hundred years. Abraham, who believed God and left the land of Ur of the Chaldeans and who traveled to a land he knew nothing about, leaving his family behind that he might become the father of many nations. Think of Moses, through whom we know the very name of God. He was the vessel of God's deliverance and the mouthpiece of his law. Joshua, who brought the children out of Israel into the promised land and there set the example for all Israel to serve their Lord as God. Think about the judges of Deborah and Samson and Gideon as well as others, military generals who led God's people out of oppression and who established holiness in the nation of Israel once again. Think of King David who slayed Goliath with a slingshot and a few stones. Who as Saul slayed his thousands, David slayed tens of thousands. I have to call my wife into the room if there's a roach. I can't imagine slaying tens of thousands of men. I can't imagine fighting a Goliath. But David slayed Goliath with a slingshot. Think of the glory of Solomon's kingdom. Israel's highest point as a nation under Solomon and the splendor of the temple that he built, it was truly one of the wonders of the world. Think about Esther, whose courage before the king brought salvation to the people of Israel so that the messianic line might be preserved. Think of the prophets who gave their lives to speak God's truth to the rebellious nations. Think of John himself, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, who was miraculously born to a couple past their childbearing years, who was filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. I can't say that about any of my children. Who spent his adult life in the wilderness with the bare provisions of locusts and wild honey and no comfort but the coarse hair of camel skin to keep him warm. All of these men and women represent the great men and women of the Christian faith. Think even of the heroes of our day. Great leaders of the faith like Charles Spurgeon and Dwight Moody and George Whitfield and John and Charles Wesley whose faithful preaching and holy living set the Western world on fire for Christ. In our modern times, great pastors and theologians such as John Piper, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, Tony Evans, Wayne Grudem, Norman Geisler, Jim Summers, and as of this last week, the late R.C. Sproul. Just to name a few. All of these men have had a great impact on my faith and yours. And what do they all have in common? They were all men. <laughs> 
men. As godly and as good and as holy as these men and women were and are as powerful as their witness has been, as great as their works were and are, they are but dust dignified by the derived glory of God, his image which he graciously placed on all men. And these men, as high and lifted up as their entire life may have been before our eyes, are saved by the same grace that even the least in the kingdom of God is saved by. This is John the Evangelist's overall point in our section. These four simple words help us see something that John wants to convey. There was a man. What makes all of these heroes great is not anything derived from within themselves. The narrative of our day is look within yourself. See what's on the inside. Scripture tells us that on the inside is nothing but a deceitful heart that is desperately wicked that seeks its own glory above God, that desires to eat the fruit that he may see and know like God and be like him. Today, man is high and lifted up. And all of these men were great not because they were perfect, not because they did great things, but because they proclaim a great God. This morning, I want to call you to focus on Christ, not on men. So many Christians abandon the faith because someone in a church maybe a Sunday school leader, maybe a rogue Catholic priest, maybe an unkind door greeter, maybe some kind of sinful living by one of the members, have abandoned the faith and think that that will excuse, that this excuse that they cannot be Christian any longer because men have failed them who think that that excuse will hold shucks before God one day, are living a lie. There's a narrative in church growth books today that gives churches all of these little things that if, if we just did all of these right things, our churches would be bursting at the seams. And let me tell you, as a young pastor, that is a very seductive narrative. Oh, I would love to see every seat in this downstairs filled and every pew upstairs filled. And when you read these books, you you expect it, okay? So you go to your people and you tell your people, be kind and be loving as you should be. Be welcoming. Go out of your way to talk to people who are new. Open your arms and your houses. Open your wallets and your checkbooks and give to people. Do as the early church did. Have all things in common. Make sure that none of your brothers or sisters go without. And if you do that, we'll never lose another church member. Our doors will be, will be open and people will be coming through and we'll have to put seats out on the side of our walls. And the fact of the matter is, none of that's true. Because what will keep a person coming to church is the love of God. That's not an excuse for you to not do your job, Christian. Yes, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, will convict every heart. Yes, 
all who the Father has given to Christ will come. There is no one who God has elected from before the foundation of the earth whose name was written in the Lamb Book of Life who will not be saved. But God uses means and he has given to us the privilege of being enlisted to bring people into the kingdom. It is a privilege and it guarantees that your witness is worth something. But at the end of the day, you have to focus on Christ, not men. Every hero that I just mentioned from the pages of Scripture, we know the truth about their lives. Thank you, God, that you let us see that Abraham was not the hero. That not only did Abraham's faith waver, but he's dead and in a grave. Yes, David slayed his tens of thousands, but David executed an innocent man and slept with his wife. Solomon ran after foreign wives and foreign gods and brought Israel to its knees. Every apostle and prophet is dead and buried, but Christ lives. Focus on Christ. If you put your hope and trust in men, they will disappoint you. If there is any good that has come in this past couple months of these men who have demonstrated that they were living sexually deviant lives behind the scenes, it is this. Do not hope and glory in men. And follow Christ, not men. Follow Christ, not men. The next thing it says about John is that he was sent from God. Now that means that, yes, he was a man, but he was also a special man. This man is a unique man. And I want to be careful because we have to balance these two things. Yes, these were all men, but they are not just any man. They were special men. Why? Because they were sent from God. What made them special wasn't that they could dunk a basketball or that they could sing really well or that they had a lot of money or that they were very attractive. What made them special is that God sent them. He is a man that is John the Baptist sent from God. His worth is a derived worth, a value not found inside himself, but outside of himself. He is a man sent from God. There is nothing about John that makes him more or less man than the rest of us. Jesus tells us that, born among men, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. But John is still a man, and the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, the least is greater than he. He is a man but nonetheless a man sent by God. And because John the Baptist is a man sent by God, it is required by all who hear his witness that we receive his words as the very words of God. There's an illogical fallacy called ad hominem tu quo quae. And in a, in a debate, when two are trying to debate one another, one may say to another, if he is making a point, yeah, well, you did it. As if to undermine his truth by undermining his character. Now, we all know that it looks hypocritical to say one thing and do another, but let me explain something to you. Truth Truth does not depend on whether or not you as a man can keep it. As the late R.C. Sproul used to say, truth cannot be ascertained by counting heads. He was a man sent by God. And whatever you may or may not like about John, because he was sent by God, his words carry the weight of God's very words. 
A prophet was a mouthpiece for God, speaking only as God informed him to speak. And scripture tells us that we have to honor their words. Sometimes we pay too much honor to men, but it is right to honor and follow the words of men sent from God. But what about us living today? How can we know who is from God and who isn't from God? That's one of the questions that I get asked most frequently. How do I know that that person is from God and this person isn't from God? How will I be able to know? Jesus gave us a very simple litmus test. He said, you shall know them by the fruit that they bear. The question that you've got to ask is, am I looking for the right fruit? Oh, he must be telling the truth. Look look how big his church is. No. Can't ascertain truth by counting heads. Oh, he must be telling the truth. Look at that nice car. Look at that nice house. Oh, he must be telling the truth because when I hear his messages, I'm never offended. You know them by the fruit they bear. That is, are they speaking what God has spoken in his word? And don't miss this other point. God has given in the church a hierarchy of leaders. He has given to the church teachers and elders and preachers and pastors to lead the church. And yes, they are men, but he, because God is the final authority, does not mean that he is the only authority. There are other authorities. If you read Romans 13 very carefully, Scripture tells us that every authority that exists comes from man or comes from God. And that there is no authority that's not established by God. The implication is that God has given us other authorities. So while John was a man, he was a man sent from God. And he had a task to do. And the very nature of that task, of a pastor, of a leader, of a prophet, of an apostle, is that we heed their words. Because they were men? No. Because they carried God's word. Next time someone says to you, well, you know the Bible was written by men, say, you're right. You're right. Look, it says it right here. This is the God. It says it in my book. The gospel of John. That means the message of John, the good news according to John. Jesus never wrote a single thing here. But not just any men. Men sent by God. All scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God. And these men spoke as the Holy Spirit inspired them to speak. So John is a man, but a man sent from God. Tells us that his name was John. A small thing, if you read the story of John the Baptist, no one in his family had the name John. In fact, when his father Zechariah was in the temple and he was offering sacrifices and burning incense, he was in there and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And he prophesied, he told him, you're going to have a child with your wife. And Zechariah said, that's not possible. She's too old and I'm too old. Old people can't have babies. We're way past our childbearing years is what he said. Gabriel said, no, you're going to have a baby, and I want you to name him John. And he said, how will I know? And when he said, how will I know, the angel said, all right, I've had enough. I've been with God. You're going dumb and mute for the next nine or ten months. I bet Zechariah was hoping this baby was going to be premature because he could not say a word. So finally, the baby's born. Sometime down the road, and they ask, 
what will the child's name be? This is on the eighth day of the circumcision. What will his name be? And the mother says, his name will be John. Everybody says, you can't name him John. Nobody in your family has that name, John. What kind of a name is John? John, what kind of a name is John? And Zechariah wrote his name down on a tablet. And it was at that moment where he was able to speak. Why? Why? John was born into a family that demonstrated it was under the authority of God. That even in the naming of their child, even in the little things, the things that we say, eh, God doesn't really care about that. God doesn't really care that I download illegal music from Napster. He's got bigger problems to worry about. Some of you are like, what's Napster? It used to be this thing. Forget it. God doesn't really care about these little things. But he does. He cared enough about John's name that when he gave him the name, when the father doubted, he made him dumb and mute. He couldn't speak. And he didn't get it back until Zechariah showed, we will obey the Lord in all things. His name was John. Scripture says he came as a witness that all might believe. And here's the meat. John's purpose in life was to direct people away from himself to the glory of Jesus Christ. John, the evangelist, may have been concerned here with the popularity that John the Baptist had amongst some people groups. It's very possible. We know that John was a very popular person. And the reason why this little section appears before we hear a little bit more about John and his ministry in the Jordan River Valley, before we hear that, the reason why it appears here is probably because there were some who thought maybe John and Jesus were just two sides of the same coin. We know that John had a lot of popularity. He was an enigmatic character, and he attracted all serious religious seekers to his side to be his disciple. Matthew tells us that Jerusalem had all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, whether it was every single person or not is not important. The Bible uses hyperbole the same way you use hyperbole. Oh, it's freezing in here. It's not freezing in here. 32 degrees Fahrenheit is freezing. But we accept what you're saying. What's your point? It's really cold. And when here Matthew says all the people of Judea were going out to see John, he means a lot of people. To the point, like, if you weren't doing it, you were on the out. Like, all the people have iPhones today. All the people have smartphones today. My father's got a cell phone with rotary dial. <laughs> you remember those cell phones that first came out that gave everybody, like, the brain tumors? And they were like a brick. They had to dial the number like this. I think dad still, he has a second version of that. And you'd look at somebody, if they pulled out a phone like that, like they're, they're out, what are they doing? And when John, what Matthew says here is all the region, everybody was going to him. John was wildly popular. He was the Joel Osteen of his day. Minus the message. John was even... So popular that he hackled the hair of the king and the queen by his public condemnation of Herod's illicit affair with his brother's wife. When Herod heard of the fame of Jesus, when Herod heard of the fame of Jesus, Herod said, this must be John the Baptist resurrected. John was very, very popular. And the evangelist tells us here <clears throat> that John, 
was not the light. In fact, John's popularity is antithetical to his very message. Some Levites and priests came and asked John, who are you? And the first thing he said was, I am not. That is the difference of the way that God defines himself. Who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am who I am sent me. Are you? And John's message begins with, as every pastor and every leader and every Christian's message should begin with, I am not. John said, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? Prophet? He answered, no. Now, we know that Jesus affirmed both of those, that he came in the spirit of Elijah and that he actually was a prophet. But John's point is, and we'll see it right here, so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. What John is doing there is saying, No, you've got it wrong. I'm more than that. I fulfill Isaiah 40, verse 3. I am the one that Isaiah prophesied about who will come making, come from the wilderness, declaring, make straight the path for God. The Lord is coming. John knows that he occupies a special place in history. But his life's ministry was to be a witness for Christ. His message was simple. The one who comes after me is greater than me because he was before me. One day, even when John was standing with two of his disciples, Jesus passed by them and John proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And upon his declaration, the disciples who were following John at that moment, one of whom was Andrew, left John and began to follow Christ. What kind of church, backwards church growth book are you reading? John, if you want to grow your discipleship, you can't be letting them, you can't be talking up another guy. They're going to run after that guy. They're not going to run after your church or after you. They're not going to follow you. And what does John say? Behold the Lamb of God. Every pastor, evangelist, missionary in the world ought to sit down and glory when souls look right past them and see the Lamb of God. Witness the Lamb of God. The task of the gospel is a daunting one. Both Jonah and Elijah find themselves at the end of their prophecy and at the end of their propheting life underneath a tree asking God why. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because of the amount of suffering he incurred over the span of his ministry. The apostles suffered martyrs' deaths at the hands of evil men who rejected Christ. And as of last year, 100,000 Christians were martyred for the cause of Christ. Globally. Why? Why did that happen? Because they all came that others might believe in him. The witness points to Christ, even to his or her own demise. And it tells us he was not the light. John had his own disciples, and this prompted John to remind us again he was not the light. And it is important here for us to see that this duplication of the thought 
of John is important enough to remind us again that all of our spiritual leaders, none of them are the light. This past week, the church lost one of her greatest gifts. And I say that without fear of contradiction in R.C. Sproul. Dr. Sproul holds a very special place in my heart. He was the grinding stone that sharpened the dull blade that was my faith when I was in college. I remember when I read his book, Reasons to Believe, it was like spiritual CPR to my faith that was quickly being, quickly going into the light, quickly leaving. He taught me not only that Christianity was intellectually superior to all other worldviews, and that I didn't have to take a back seat in those college classrooms to worldviews like evolution, worldviews like fem- feminism, worldviews like postmodernism, Marxism, secular humanism. Dr. Sproul taught me that I didn't have to take a back seat, that the Christian faith not only needed and deserved a place in the realm of ideas, but that it was the champion of those ideas. That we did not have to all of a sudden claim a different logic, but that we could play by the rules of logic and by the rules of science and beat them at their own games. And just when the Christian had done that, just when the Christian had demonstrated to the world that it could beat them at their own games, they go and change the rules on us and say there is no such thing as truth. And Dr. Sproul gave me courage. He was a Calvinist and a Christian before either of those things were cool. Today, he was probably one of the major figureheads that started what Time Magazine called the third most important global trend called the New Calvinism, by which young people all over the world became restless with the vacancy of the faith before them and embraced reformed, robust theology. Theology that meant something. No more trust falls in youth group. We wanted doctrine, solid food, so that when we sat in those classrooms, those college professors could know we knew what we believed and why we believed it. And Dr. Sproul, no man in my life was greater than him. This is probably why there is no character that I identify with in Scripture more than Thomas. You hear people say, they talk about Peter all the time. I'm like Peter. I'm like Thomas. I was the guy standing over there saying, I I know you're saying that, Dad. I I know, I know, don't, you know, don't drink or chew or run with girls who do. I gotcha. I know Jesus really came to the earth, right? The reason of the season, but, 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 but I got to see the nail scars in the hand if I'm going to believe. And Dr. Sproul taught me that God's love for me would do just like he did to Thomas. Walk over to you and say, touch, feel my scars. And in Dr. Sproul, God used a great tool to bring me back to the faith. But Dr. Sproul was not the light. When we begin to read these men and find things we don't agree with and pastors that we don't agree with, We have to always remember, as much as they meant something to us in our lives, they are not the light. John Piper, John MacArthur, the Apostle Paul, 
even the greatest man born of woman, John the Baptist himself was not the light. Christ is the light come into the world who gave life to all men. Who or what is the light of your life? Is the light of your life your spouse, your child, your career, your body, your beauty, your bank account, your bends? Can't think of any other B words. Who or what is your light? Because this passage is communicating one thought to us, and that thought is this, there is only one light. And every other thing you hope in, every other light that you think is the true light is nothing but a flickering lantern waiting to run out of oil and leave you in the darkness. Johan told me this past week of someone he knew who was involved in one of these scams and the person, when they had lost all their money, went out, bought a gun, and committed suicide because on that day, their light burned out. Their light was their money. Maybe the light's your health. But only Christ can be the light. That's John's point. This is a great man, John the Baptist. But he is not your Christ. Listen to me, every person in this building this morning. Put your faith in the one and only true light, which is Jesus Christ. Finally, the passage says this. It concludes... He came to bear witness about the light. The passage concludes again by reiterating to us the life purpose of John the Baptist. He came to bear witness about the light. There are some questions I want us to consider as we leave. First, this passage leaves us with this thought. Have I decreased that Christ might increase in my life? Have I decreased that Christ may increase in my life? Christ told us that he who tries to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for me will save it. If you want to save your life, you have to decrease And let Christ increase in your life. Paul said, this is the Christian life. Someone asked me if you had only one Bible verse to give someone, to lead them to the Lord, what would it be? My answer is and will be Galatians 2.20. For if any man be in Christ or I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Christian life begins with death. The baptismal waters are a symbol of destruction to the old man. Yes, it is a washing and a cleaning, but as Peter tells us, just like they were saved, the, the flood waters, as, as, as Noah was saved, he says, now those waters, those flood waters now save us through baptism. What? In destroying the old man. You cannot follow Jesus and yourself. Jesus is Lord. He has no co-pilots. He's driving and you're in the back seat. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This seems counterintuitive to our culture to lose one's life for someone else. To take the attention off of us and place it on another seems foreign to us. To testify about Christ rather than post our achievements on social media seems crazy. 
Now, this is not to condemn you if you use social media, but to challenge you to consider just who is the aim of your life, Christ or yourself. Parents, teach your children to follow Christ. Don't be a lazy, deadbeat mom and dad. Train your children up in the way they should go. That is wise. You are told, fathers, not to exasperate your children. But make sure they know that you are not the light. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last shall be first. Christians, if you want to live You must lose your life to Christ. You must decrease and Christ must increase. Let me ask you this question. What is the status of your witness for Christ? Notice that in the beginning of our passage, the word witness is first used as a noun and then as a verb. It is not merely an office, but an action we perform. To testify about Christ. I ask you this morning, what is is the status of your witness for Christ? It's one thing to be a selfless person, but an entirely different thing to be a witness for Christ. Oh, there are social justice warriors who fight vigorously for the poor and oppressed. There are animal and earth activists who risk their lives to preserve the planet. There are soldiers who risk their lives for their country. There are altruists who live in dire situations to care for the needs of the poor. Many who sacrifice themselves and all of these things in their own right are good but they are not tantamount to being a witness for Christ. The purpose of this morning's message is not to get you to go be a social justice warrior or to save the planet. It's not to get you to stop doing those things either. It is to get you to make Christ and his name, the witness and the purpose of your life. What difference does it make if you feed the poor if they die with full bellies and no gospel? What difference does it make if you live with the poor and care for them and clothe them if they enter into hell in a king's robes. The point is to witness for Christ. It is to speak the name that is above all names and that by his name they might have life. That is the point of our witness, to proclaim the message of Christ. Do those things but proclaim Jesus. Finally, I ask you this question. What have you done with the witness of John about Christ? What have you done personally with the witness of John about Christ? Every One of us in here has to answer that question. Yes, John came, but do I believe his testimony? John's life pursuit was to make straight the way of the Lord. His joy was decreasing so that Christ might increase. How have you honored John's witness in your own life? 
Do you believe the testimony of John? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ? Can you stomach the idea that Jesus wasn't white? Can you stomach the idea that Jesus wasn't black? That he didn't have dreadlocks or a mullet? But that he was a Jew. Born of the seed of Abraham. That through Abraham's seed, all nations might be blessed. Can you worship a true man, a true God? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth, a small Jewish town, was the town where God himself grew? Do you believe that Jesus was before all things? John testified that before me, the one who came before me is greater than me. He said he's before me. That is, not only was Jesus a real human being, a true person, but that Jesus was also truly God. You say, I can't figure that out. And you will never figure it out. God, this is not a syllogism. This is not a, a, a sum for us to figure out and then to show our work. It is to believe the testimony of John. That he is true God of God. True man. And that mysteriously, he is God in the flesh that dwelt among us. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth, who was before John, is also the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world? Do you believe that this person who came in a manger 2,000 years ago came to take away sin so that you, dead in sin and trespasses, might have life and have it abundantly? Do you believe that Christ is God's sacrificial lamb? That's what John told us. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Finally, do you believe that Christ is Lord and that all who would come after him must be his disciples? Listen to me. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. To be a disciple of Christ, to be a true Christian, means you follow Christ as Lord. But we don't think about what is lordship. Lordship means he has the authority to tell you do A and you do A. Even if you don't like it. You see, friends, a witness's testimony like John's is in vain if it is not received as true by those who hear it. My challenge to you this morning is to receive John's witness with action. What is that action? Very simply, repent, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and be baptized in his name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending John. Lord, we think of the life he lived probably real loneliness. He ended up having his head cut off, Lord, because he held to your truth. He was a witness who pointed us to Jesus. And now, Lord, it is, it is my prayer this morning that I have done that very same thing that men and women and children who are here today will look past any ability I may have as a pastor 
and that they will see the light of Jesus. I cannot be their Christ. Only you, Lord Jesus, can be our Christ. You are the Lord of this church. And so, Lord, we all put our faith in you this morning. It is my prayer that there are some here today who have not put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, that they would make a profession of faith in you this morning. It is my prayer, Lord, that they would begin to follow you. Lord, it is my prayer that we would be a God-glorifying church. Thank you for the witness of John. Thank you for giving me the ability to heed that witness. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep me until the day of my last breath. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.